Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So, Katina, you have an article for us today. Want to give us a sneak peek? I do. And yes, so today's topic is on pregnancy in the workplace. Um, we've talked a little bit about this, or we've talked about motherhood before. Um, and we're going to be talking about how offering help to pregnant women at work can have unintended negative consequences if you're offering help in a specific kind of way. Super interesting. I'm really excited to learn more. I think it's a very important topic. Yes. Um, especially, you know, we're women. We have lots of friends that have been coping with pregnancy and coming back from leaves. I mean, there's just so many complexities that our workplaces are not equipped to handle effectively. Yeah. Um, so anything people can do better is important. So I'm excited to learn. What can people do better? Agreed. Yeah. yeah. How can we better support Women who are bearing children into the world that we need to continue life on earth. Yes. Yeah. So I would like to, before we start, you and I had talked about how we need to tell everyone about the last episode of our podcast prior to this one being an evil, haunted, <laughs> cursed episode. <laughs> yes. We had a haunted. Uh, so... <laughs> When we're recording this, it's not Halloween yet, but it is October. And, but I believe the haunting started prior to October, didn't it? It did. It started in September. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> do you want to, do you want to tell a little bit about the origins of the haunting? So, I mean, what are the origins? It's the podcast episode that never wanted to come to life and be recorded. Like we first recorded the episode and finished recording, hit stop to record and Katina's entire everything just crashed and burned and Boo. didn't save a backup at all. Which it so always does. It always yeah. saves a backup. It didn't save a backup this time. And um, yes, it was like so weird because every like sometimes it's crashed on us before, but when I go back into the program, it has saved up until the point that it crashed in like an emergency file. And this time it didn't. It was just disappeared like a ghost without a trace. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, it was bad. And then we're like, OK, well, we'll record this a different time because it was already kind of late, especially for you. I feel like it was like 1030 p.m. or something. And so we decided we we're going to record it later. And then we went to record it later. We got 15 minutes into the episode and your computer crashed again. Yes, it did. My computer crashed oh. again. And then, okay, but there was like a backup. We mm -hmm. could pick up from like, so if you listen to the episode, we hope that you can't tell that all of this was happening. And <laughs> we also hope that we have not transferred an ancient curse to your ears through the airwaves <laughs> by listening to it. But, um, but yeah, it crashed and then it picked up like we had, we had recorded like 15 minutes and then it was like it picked up like six minutes of it or something. So we had to go back and like redo like nine minutes of it or whatever. And then you started being haunted. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even want to say because it kind of was sort of stupid and I should be able to figure it out. But um, well, so basically what happened was we went to record it again. And then all of a sudden my microphone was not picking up. And we couldn't get to it to pick up my microphone. It kept connecting to it and then dropping it, connecting to it, dropping it. And so I rebooted the computer. I did like all the things that you're supposed to do 
and nothing was working at all. And we, I mean, it was, it was like half an hour of you sitting on the phone as I'm trying to get my computer to connect and figure out what on earth is happening. And then the embarrassing thing happened where <laughs> I got off the phone with you and we were like, okay, we're going to just pause it. We can't do this today. Clearly something's happening. The world is ending. I don't know. And so I hung up with you and then I go to my husband and I'm like, Danny, can you please come and look and see if you can figure out what's going on? And we're like, he starts talking about drivers and stuff. And I'm like, I don't think there's a driver and whatever. Anyways, there wasn't a driver. So at least I was right there. But it was my freaking cable. Like all of a sudden after, I mean, we had recorded already, like you said, like we had recorded like 16 minutes or at least the, it it had a full 16 minutes for my on my side. And and then when your computer crashed, my cable stopped working. Like it was so weird. <laughs> it made it no sense. It was a good article, but it was quite the fiasco. Quite the fiasco. But we are here today and we have survived it and that podcast is done and we're here. And we're here. So it's great. So why don't you tell us, tell us about the article though. Let's, let's do this. Okay. So the article that I'm talking about today is called How Help During Pregnancy Can Undermine Self-Efficacy and Increase Postpartum Intentions to Quit. And it's by Kristen Jones, Judith Clare, Eden King, Beth Humbird, and David Arena. And we've actually had Eden King on this show before. So you may have heard her episode previously. And this came out in Personnel Psychology in 2020, so awesome. it's brand new. Love new articles and love Eden. So we'll definitely link to her yes. um, episode if anybody's interested in going back and hearing from her directly. Yes. Yeah. And Kristen's a friend of mine and I collaborate with Judy. So this is like a whole bunch of good people. Dave's cool. I don't know Beth very well, but she <laughs> seems fun too. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So basically this article is kind of looking at and a lot of articles, I think, um, are trying to do something similar in the field, which is taking things that we generally think of as being really positive constructs and thinking, well, could there be downsides to these under certain circumstances? And so generally at work, helping other people is a really positive thing. And as we're going to see in this article, it's not that helping in general is bad. But they're calling into question whether there's specific types of helping under certain circumstances, and in this it's when women are pregnant, um, that might actually detract from uh, self-efficacy, feelings of being able to do things uh, well on your own, and that that might actually lead women after they give birth to be less likely to want to stay in their I jobs. I think the most important part here is that it's not just helping in general. Like, you can help. Your coworkers, yeah. um, but it just depends on what the helping is. So I think that's a super interesting concept and it's important because I think big blanket statements are not always useful. So what, what exactly do they find? Yeah. So basically, like we're talking about, there are a wide variety of ways that you could help your coworkers at work. Um, and what they're looking at specifically here are helping behaviors that have an underlying level of what's called benevolent sexism, which are sexist beliefs that sound really nice, but actually 
associate women with being vulnerable or incompetent or dependent or needing protection. So it's like, I love women. That's why I want to protect them from bad things in society. Or like, um, I, you know, think women are so wonderful because they're so caring and fragile or whatever, you know, like, um, it's, Saying something that sounds nice but actually takes away from the competence and agency of the woman that you're talking about. So it can be a little bit difficult to detect in the workplace because, again, it seems like someone's saying something nice to you, but the reality is that it's taking away from your perception of being like a competent, independent person. So that's what benevolent sexism generally is. And there are certain types of helping behavior that could be viewed as benevolently sexist. What they did was... They measured the extent to which people were getting these benevolently sexist, potentially benevolently sexist uh, helping behaviors from their colleagues. And then they actually measured as part of their model whether or not the women actually viewed these acts as being uh, helpful to their work or as interfering with their work. Um, So I can give you some examples of the types of behaviors that were included. So um, an example of a way that uh, you might help somebody, but they might perceive it as actually interfering with their work would be protecting them from unpleasant news. So let's say I'm pregnant woman in the workplace and I find out my coworker finds out that our boss got fired, let's say, and you find out like a week later that this happened and your coworker says, oh, well, you know, I just didn't want to bother you because I know that you're pregnant and I didn't want to overwhelm you. But yes, like I buffered you from that news because I knew it might stress you out. While that sounds kind of nice, it could also be interpreted in a way of like, well, I'm capable of handling the news. And also maybe I would have appreciated or it would have helped me to do my job differently over the course of this past week if I had that news. So that's like one example of a way that you could do something that seems nice, but might be perceived by the pregnant woman as being something that's kind of taking away their ability to have all the information they need to do that their job like properly. That sounds like a terrible experience. I, like yeah. talking about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would be so angry if someone kept something like that for me. Yeah. That's really interesting, but it's, it's a good point. And it doesn't have to be like, yeah. obviously your boss is like very direct to you, but it could even be... Um, right. Like another team that you collaborate with from time to time is seeing big changes. It may not be, you know, obviously it's something you're going to find out eventually, but you might find out even later. So that's even worse. Right. So thinking about like all the things that people yeah. are shielding you from. Ugh, that's so rude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's one example. Another example is like oh, we'll give you like an easier task or try to lighten your workload. So, you know, I'll take on the really difficult parts of this project because I know you're probably really tired, exhausted or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, in one light, it could be nice. Like, oh, this person's trying to help me by taking a greater share of the workload. In another light, it could be viewed negatively because the pregnant person might be saying, well, you know, I actually would like to take on those tasks or I don't want to be seen as un- incapable of performing the tasks that are associated with my role yeah, just because I think I'm there's, pregnant. There's a misconception that sometimes people don't want that or it could maybe even have a detrimental effect on someone's career advancement if you're taking away opportunities for tasks and work that might be a little bit more challenging 
just because somebody's pregnant. And I think it's different if there's like an explicit conversation, right? Like I have to take time off or whatever because I'm having a very challenging pregnancy. And, you know, maybe you have to move to part time or start a leave early. Like there's so many obviously important times where a coworker helping in that situation to take on more is totally appropriate. But if it's purely because the person is pregnant and not because of some sort of situation that the person has explicitly asked for help, it's probably better to not assume what they can and cannot do. Right. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so those are like some examples of things that like you're withholding. There's also another category of things that's like um, giving you something special. So like, hey, you know, I'm going to give you a Friday off because I know you could probably use like some time off your feet or like I'll let you work from home or um, I'll let you leave early um, because, you know, everyone on the team is probably more able to, you know, stay on their feet longer, like whatever the case may be, or like a physical accommodation, like being in a meeting and like, oh, we'll give you like the best chair because you're probably the most uncomfortable. Again, all of these things under certain circumstances could be nice, but it depends on the perception of the person that is in the situation. So they're really looking at what how what to what extent did you receive these behaviors from other people and then did you perceive these as helping you to do your work so like yeah actually my back was killing me and I asked to have the comfy chair and someone gave me the comfy chair whatever the case may be right um or if I go into the meeting and I'm feeling perfectly fine and people are like pointing out that I'm pregnant being like will you take this nice chair you know what I mean and then you feel more like well actually I was okay so they're looking at it through the perception of the pregnant person saying did you find that this was actually a helpful behavior or did you find that this was sort of hindering you from feeling competent mm. in that space that makes sense I mean the perception is important and I think that's why well I'll be curious to see what what recommendations you have but I do think that's why you have to be a, you know not make assumptions don't be appropriate in the way that you're handling things and not yeah. make assumptions for somebody and if there is something they need from you great that's awesome be supportive but don't assume they need something Right. Yeah. So every every single like thing that we talk about usually has a positive aspect of having a conversation or a dialogue. And I think that's going to be a main takeaway from this uh, article as well, is that what the person actually wants or expects in the workplace is going to become really important um, with regard to whether they view this help as interfering or helping them to do their work. Um, so... Basically, what they did in this study to get a little bit into um, sort of the methods was what was that they looked at. So they measured um, some like demographic variables and things about the person early on in the study. um, And they recruited 120 pregnant employees um, and they were as little as six weeks pregnant up to 34 weeks pregnant. And for every week that they were in the study, they filled out a survey Um, And they filled out uh, surveys about the extent to which they received this type of help and then whether or not for each thing that they received, they found it as actually helpful or hindering. And then they also filled out a measure of the extent to which they felt self-efficacious within their work, uh, their work day. So that's like 
Um, I was able to solve difficult work problems. It was easy for me to stick to my goals and accomplish them. I was confident that I could deal with work-related events. So like how um, confident did you feel that you could tackle these challenges in the workplace? They measured um, every week. So um, they ended up with a bunch of different measures, like over a thousand different measures across all their different participants across the weeks. Um, And so then after the survey was over, they waited nine months and then they gave them a postpartum survey after they had given birth. So nine months after they had given birth, each participant got a survey asking them, hey, to what extent do you feel like you want to stay in your job or do to what extent do you want to leave the workforce entirely to stay home? So they're asking them about whether or not they want to remain employed. And is it remain employed at that company or remain employed period? Or is it kind of like, are there multiple levels of that? So they're calling it intentions to quit the workforce. One of the items is I often think about quitting to stay home, but the other two are I have plans to leave the workforce altogether and it's likely that I'll leave the workforce to stay home. So it seems like it's more like broad. Like predicting whether or not, not necessarily just for the company, but like generally speaking, whether or not these types of behaviors make someone feel like, ugh, I don't really belong in the workplace right now and then leave the workplace. Yes. So it's basically exactly. exactly predicting the funnel problem and the drop off of women in the workplace and why we have issues with equity at work between genders. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically saying like there's something that you could be doing that's totally not on your radar that seems very positive that could be contributing potentially to women leaving the workforce after that's actually really interesting and very important. So this is like much more global. So one, as a team member, as a leader, like you obviously want, I would assume you would want your good employees to stay and regardless of whether or not they have children. Um, And then in a broader perspective, if you're really em- embracing and interested in promoting diversity, equity, inclusion in workplaces across the country, world, etc., this is something to consider from that perspective too. So not just how can I retain people within my company and within my team, but how can I help the problem of, you know, people, I mean, there's obviously always gonna be some people that don't want to return and that's totally fair and totally their own decision. But if there are people that aren't returning because of some of these issues, there's something we can do about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and also, I think, you know, there's multi multiple prongs probably that are predicting these things. But this is giving us an insight into something that probably isn't on anyone's radar in terms of what kind of problem you would think to solve if you were experiencing high levels of women dropping out. You wouldn't necessarily think like, well, what are we doing to help them that might be <laughs> harmful? So um, so I think that it's it's a, a cool, yeah. like, interesting blind spot yeah, that companies really might have. Yeah. So basically what they found was that when women received help that was perceived to be work interfering. So, yeah, I, I received these, these forms of help, but I felt like they – did more harm than good to me. They interfered with my ability to do my work. Um, That this actually impacted the following week's self-efficacy negatively. Um, When women had 
help that they appeared to be that they uh, viewed to be helpful. It made that relationship more positive. Um, but the the effects were being driven by this negative relationship between, hey, if you give me help and I see it as this interfering form of help, it's actually going to make me feel less self, self-efficacious the following week than I would have if you had not offered me wow. that so negative help. Now we're getting to like wellness and mental health even to some extent here. So it's... Mm-hmm. If I am giving up the comfy chair without prompting and drawing attention to maybe the fact that this pregnant person is, you know, pregnant and whatever needs a special thing, then the next week she will be feeling less confident in her abilities at work. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So basically this uh, interaction shows that when people receive help that is more work interfering than work enabling, the more help they get, the worse they feel in terms of self-efficacy. So um, you might think that you're doing a really good job helping this person, but if they're perceiving it as work interfering, it's actually continuing to make things worse oh the more gosh. help so you give. Oh my gosh, so can you imagine having that like one coworker who is super well-meaning and just doing this nonstop? Ugh. Yes, yes, exactly. That'd be exactly. Bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so basically um, they found that, you know, this negative form of help is particularly bad for uh women in the like uh when they looked at the within person level positive help um didn't seem to do as much as uh the negative help in terms of like helping and making things better um but self-efficacy in terms of uh the level of self-efficacy for postpartum turnover intentions was related so individuals who had higher work self-efficacy during pregnancy but also reported they also reported lower intentions to quit the workforce nine months after giving birth so this negative help not only had a negative impact on their confidence but then down the line predicted whether or not they'd want to stay in the workforce and while the positive help didn't have quite the boost at least it didn't do anything bad right so like um so in the long term, really what you want to avoid is yeah. this okay. negative that help. makes sense. So it's okay to do it. Obviously, it's like we said, it's fine to help your coworker if there is a specific request, need, etc. That's clear and defined and not based on your own assumptions. You should do it. It's not going to hurt. But you should make sure that you're not just taking away opportunities or offering help in situations what you think you're being helpful and not have that confirmed because then that might lead them to feel well that will lead them to feel less confident which then leads them to want to not come back to work yep exactly so there are a lot of conditions around the type of help that you offer and how it impacts people's confidence Um, and so it's really important to be careful about how the help that you're giving is perceived That's so interesting. basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think as you were mentioning before, uh, it's really important not to like misconstrue the findings as saying organizations just shouldn't help <laughs> pregnant workers. Um, but rather to think about how the type of help might weaken their views about themselves and their willingness to stay in the workforce. Um, and so it's, 
important to have those conversations, have that dialogue about what they're expecting, and then offer, you know, accommodations based on those conversations, but not to just take a guess, like we mentioned before, about what individuals might want, uh, and really keeping top of mind that you don't want to keep sort of um, infantilizing the person and making them feel like they can't do anything, when the reality may be that they actually really want to keep working on things or, you know, they don't want to feel like they're already on maternity leave when they're not on maternity leave, you know, or maybe they really want to get a lot done because they know they're going to be out of the office. And so they want to use the time before they leave to really dive in, you know, like, um, so making sure that you're aware of what their goals are and what their needs are yeah, is really I think this important. Is very, very important. I think that's kind of goes back to everything we've talked about, about leaders and supervisors and having positive relationships with employees, because that's where you'll find out what it is that you should be doing to help. Coworkers can follow the leader's lead or, you know, obviously have their own individual conversations with the person. But as a leader, I think it's really critical to, you know, when you're told that this is happening, that your employee is expecting, then you can open the dialogue and say, you know, congratulations, obviously. And then from there, say that you're there to support and help as they need it and let them lead you into what you should be doing to help them versus making assumptions. So treat them the same as you were before, unless something is expressed differently. Um, So I think that's super, super key and super crucial because if you have a good relationship with your employees, they're going to come to you anyways. Like I have a friend, I have a good example of a friend of mine who had a really rough first trimester And well, one, she didn't want to tell work yet. It was very early, but she had to because of how she was feeling and how hard that first trimester was. So Mm -hmm. she, um, but she had a good relationship with her boss. So she was able to talk to her boss and she, you know, told her boss what was going on and she got all the help that she needed to get through those first few weeks. Uh, But then, you know, after she was done, all she had to say is like, oh, like this trimester is way easier. I'm I'm back and then they everyone went back to what they were doing before and there wasn't like an expectation right. to, to treat her a certain way um, after that so I think it was just really key that she was able to have yeah. those conversations and then everyone was able to kind of help her when she needed it and support when she needed it and then go on as as usual when that wasn't happening anymore yeah Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because um, you also don't want to be defined forever by if you do need some kind of an accommodation or something like that, like you don't want to be defined forever by that. It's like, okay, so for what period of time? And then after that, you don't want to have to keep like being thought of in that way. Right. So um, I think one of the points that the article makes that's, I think, really important is that a lot of times when people think about why women leave the workforce after having children, it's framed very much in a personal choice uh, way. Like, oh, that person just wants to prioritize family over work and that's their personal choice. What this article is saying is that, and other articles have said as well, is that signals that you can send to the employee about their value, either now that they have a child or you know that they're about to have a child, whether it's how much you value working parents or working moms in particular, the signals that you send about what you say or how you think about 
working parents or how people hear you talking about people who are on maternity leave like maybe you're thinking of having kids and some one of your colleagues is out on maternity leave and you hear how your boss talks about that person when they're not there like all of those signals can discourage women from returning to the workforce because they no longer feel as confident that they'll be taken seriously or be given the same opportunities and so the article is basically highlighting that one of those factors may be signals that you send to the employee that they're less competent even starting with the pregnancy, that there you could be sending signals about the person's competence from the time that you know they're pregnant all the way through until you know their kids are out of the house, and that all of these signals that you send about parenting and competence can shape decisions yeah. to stay in the workforce. I think it's so important to think about how you're impacting these pregnant individuals, employees, and how they're, you know, what they're seeing, what they're feeling, and not to change, not to make it, I don't know, I think it, I can't even speak because this topic is very, like, kind of frustrating to me. Um, Yeah. It's like, how, why are you changing the way you're treating someone just because of a pregnancy? Um, Like, you wouldn't change the way you treat somebody you know, like, first of all, they're probably not going to tell you other medical things. This is something that they have to tell you, right? So somebody right. could have some other medical issue and you're just going to go on um, normally, right? Right. And this is this is a medical thing that has to be, well, it's not just a medical, you know what I mean? This, this is a situation where you have to express right. it because you were taking a leave and eventually it's visible and everyone's going to know anyways. So I think right. that... You have to just treat it like you would anything else. And unless someone comes to you with an issue or concern or a need to support, you just act like normal. And they're the same employees still. And there's no reason to treat them differently. And there's no reason to make them question their value, their worth, their efficacy, any of that. And I think it's really, really important yeah. to be cognizant of that as a leader and as a coworker to help stop this problem. Because to your point, like, yeah, this per- personal choice idea, I'm sure it's true for some people, right? Like, they, mm-hmm. there are people that yeah. do take this personal choice, and that is totally fair. But statistically, when you look at the numbers, it's higher than you would expect. Um, and that's the problem. That's mm-hmm. where we have to, as a society, organizations, et cetera, we need to address that. Why are more people leaving the workforce than we would expect? And how can we prevent that? And I mean, now with COVID, forget it. It's like even worse. <laughs> but um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. I just think this is a really important article so that you're thinking about everything you're doing um, in a much bigger picture. And I think the whole idea of benevolent, sec- benevolent sexism, gosh, I don't know why I can't say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It is a little bit but, of a mouthful. Um, I think that whole idea and that concept I feel like people get really upset and offended by it. Certain people do. And I think you have to think about how the other person is feeling when those things are happening and what impact that has long term. Because you might just be like, well, I'm being nice, so they shouldn't be mad about it. But yeah, you're being nice, but it makes them feel like they're not as worthy or they're not as competent or they're not as whatever. That doesn't matter if you think it's nice. Like, you should do what the other person thinks is nice. Like, if, right. for example, no one should buy me, like, season tickets to a, a basketball. I, Lakers just won. Yay, Lakers. But <laughs> I don't care about that. That's don't true. Buy that. Just because you thought it was nice. Right. That's not, like, 
I don't think it's nice. That just says, oh, you don't really know me. You just spent a lot of money for a reason. So like that same kind of thing. Right. Make sure you're doing what's actually nice to the person, not just for you or your opinion. Yeah. What you would want in the situation. And I think also people think that they're being nice by taking things off someone's plate. But the more that you take off the person's plate, the more dependent they feel on you to like, like basically if I'm going to say, oh, you know, don't worry about it, Patricia, I, I know that you're probably feeling tired lately. So I'll, you know, attend that meeting and tell you what happened afterwards. Well, that makes you dependent on me to know what happened in that meeting. And that decreases your ability to feel like, okay, in the next meeting, can I participate or do I know what's going on? So when you're offering help to people, it's also important to think about whether you're offering help that makes them feel more empowered or if you're offering them help that makes them feel more like indebted to you or like dependent on you. And so they talk in this article as well about autonomy oriented help and giving people help that actually empowers them as opposed to so they use an example in the article like um instead of saying like i'll attend that meeting and tell you if anything comes up that you would want to know maybe you might say i'll record the meeting for you so you can watch it yourself later um so if somebody needs to miss something they have a recording they can watch it it's like they were in the meeting but they're not waiting on you to like we're hearing it through your lens you know what I mean so there are different ways to do something similar even if someone does need uh, an accommodation that you can think through how do I give this person more autonomy and the help that I'm offering as opposed to making them feel more dependent and and less confident another good example too is like when it comes to like the work like if you need to take something off somebody's plate how about instead of taking the challenging interesting projects off their plate you take the boring tasks like everyone's job has some right right if someone came to me and said, hey, right. I will do that boring task for you this week, I'd be like, cool. You still think I'm caught like, right. one, <laughs> you still think I'm good enough to do right. the more challenging stuff. Like, I don't need to feel competent in the right. really, like, basic task. I've done it a thousand times. Right, right. You know, I could think of tasks on my team that, like, we complain about all the time that you have to do it, but they're boring. And so someone came and asked me to take that task away right. to, like, help me because they knew I was you know, there's a lot going on and I had made a comment about it. And then they said, Hey, I can help out. Instead of saying like, I'm, I'm happy to like step in and lead that project. That might suck. But if they say, Hey, I'm happy to take some of those really boring things off your plate. I'd be like, cool. Like that just seems so much better. So just thinking through that, I think helps because you're not going to have the same kind of impact if you try to take boring things and like very basic tasks away than if you try to take the challenging more interesting things that might make people feel like oh well now I'm missing out on opportunity or they don't think I can handle that or whatever totally I completely agree I think all of these are really good takeaways and the goal is to keep everybody that wants to be in the workforce in the workforce and to allow people who truly don't want to be in the workforce to have other options. But we shouldn't be losing people who want to be in the workforce because they no longer feel confident in their skills, especially through something that's solvable, like the signals that we're sending them about their competence while they're under our watch. This is super interesting. I'm so glad you shared this article. Thank you. I'd love to hear from all of you. We'd love to hear your experiences. Um, especially for those of you that have been pregnant in the workplace. You know, if you have any stories to share, good things, bad things, um, we'd love to hear your stories. It's just always so interesting to see different people's experiences. So feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on social media 
at Worker Being, which is on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find us on our website, workerbeing.com. And you can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Thank you.